Welcome to Momus the Podcast's Criticism in Conversation series. We're your hosts, Sky Gooden and Lauren Wetmore. In this episode, two art and technology critics, Nora Khan and Mike Pepe, discuss pushing for a rigorous critical discourse in a creative field that can flatten evaluative distinctions in favor of zealotry for invention. Nora Khan is a writer on art and technology, the acting editor at Rhizome, and the 2017 iBeam research resident. Mike Pepe was guest editor of Heavy Machinery at SF MoMA's Open Space, and in 2015, he was co-guest editor of the Data Issue of Dis Magazine. He writes criticism in New York. As Khan says of their topic in this episode, Criticism of a tool that's presented as neutral, when it really is a piece of social engineering, is incredibly hard to do, and there really isn't a model for criticism in this space. In a far-ranging discussion that touches on the critical distance and yet humanism required of writing on the internet, surveillance, and AI, Khan and Pepe assert that tools aren't divorced from their makers, and artwork is never post-human, nor post-critique. kind of interrogate the value system that underlies those judgments rather than sort of reveling in the idea that art is good or bad or, 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 or some such. The use of technology can't make an artwork post-human and then somehow above or beyond critique, but then also circulate within a system of human values. Does a uh, monochrome painting have to do with uh, platform capitalism? Uh, are, can, artists, can artists escape, right? Uh, uh, you know, so that, that's something I struggle with a lot. I'm Nora Khan, a critic and writer, and I'm here with Mike Pepe, also a critic, both of us writing about art and technology and the many hybrid spaces between the two. Sky asked me to pick one of my favorite peer critic or critics, and we had been discussing for a while how digital art criticism has its struggles, but also from my perspective, the difficulty art criticism has with techno-utopian strains in art, and the difficulty of maintaining a kind of critical rigor as art practices celebrate what new and expensive tools can do and what museums and galleries are doing adopting AR and VR and are becoming more beholden to funders than ever. So we sort of started to come down to this question of what is the role of the art critic today in the age of automated journalism and of tech billionaires and corporations seeking to own all knowledge and museums seeking to embrace, as Pepe writes, Silicon values. So I met up with Mike and we talked about what the role of the critic can be when making an app update is a creative act and engineers of our daily reality are also artists. So hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Nora. Thanks for having me. So Mike, we first ran into each other on Twitter, I think back in 2014. I think I wrote something for Rhizome about a sticker on Facebook, Business Fish, and mm-hmm. you tweeted at me. <laughs> and that, that piece is something I'll always chase down. And you've you've been a critic for a while now, like five or six years, I think, mm-hmm. and recently edited Heavy Machinery, which is an issue on SF MoMA's site, and a couple of years ago, the Disc Big Data issue. And I was wondering, like, you've, you've had a long history as a critic working between art and technology. So I was wondering if you could tell me, like, how you got started and what your experience has been over that time. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess it, it's funny, actually. I started kind of writing your typical art criticism 
short reviews of just sort of, you know, what was going on at the, at the moment. And I was kind of writing about what I would kind of call this sort of art historical art criticism, right? This, this sort of idea that that art criticism is the first draft of art history or that, you know, just kind of going back and reassessing past artists' work at, at museum shows. Mm-hmm. So I was always sort of interested in the larger sort of intellectual tradition of, of art history and criticism. And and I kind of started out like trying to be like a sort of newspaper critic almost. Um, mm-hmm. And then I kind of found myself writing, I almost want to say boring, kind of like rehearsals of like the, the standard tropes of, of what was going on, you know, in the, in, the, in the institutional world. At a certain point in my life, I kind of just saw all this really interesting stuff going on around uh, contemporary art and technology. And I, I remember the moment where I was reading something and uh, it was probably probably like Boris Groys or something. And he was just mm-hmm. kind of really capturing the, the essence of the moment. I, and I thought I should probably stop trying to do these like mini art history essays because I'm not really going to be an academic. I, I think there's so much more interesting things to tackle uh, you know, in the present. The most compelling questions were organized around you know, art and technology and, and, and sort of the different ways in which we have this sort of religious zeal coming out of I think we could say both Silicon Valley and, and just, you know, sort of in general. Um, and I kind of wanted to turn uh, the critical eye via art towards, you know, kind of trying to understand our stand our moment through that. So that's kind of how I got into that. And then I guess you mentioned the disk data issue and, and the recent project with open space. I guess both of those were kind of based around a reaction to what I thought was a sort of dearth of criticism of, of these new forms of technology, new experimentation with art, with art and technology. So, so that's really kind of how I started down that route. I, this is so interesting how we all end up in this space. Every single person that I've met has come from a completely different background, from, from literature, from poetry, people who've worked in business schools and business academia, uh, who've been traditional fine artists and then have moved slowly into technology and then moved into criticism. And it's really fascinating to me that a lot of people have like a cultural theory background or a very traditional critical background. And through frustration, moving through these spaces, end up being a critic either of art, working with technology, or sort of floundering to find terms and how to describe the space. I mean, my, my background is poetry and fiction, and then before that, cultural criticism. But then I started my work in criticism working around video games, which doesn't have really a language, and then ended up in experimental art after. And what I found is that criticism is so different depending on the field. And this weird art tech crossover, what was interesting and compelling about it is that the language was free, which would allow you to like write sort of experimental fiction pieces or poetry. But then over time, the materialist grounding or like historical grounding was so loose and that so you find these like very strange arguments in which people think that they're starting over, they're reinventing the wheel. And so mm-hmm. it, it, I've looked to you for a long time. You were the first person I thought of when Sky asked, like, who's a serious critic you admire, in part because the like, tech fields don't have the same parameters. And so you get these, this weird kind of shallow critique. But it's more important than ever to have critics now who say, like, maybe not. And it's a really annoying position to always be in. But I feel like you really embrace that. <laughs> yeah, I should. I, I guess I, I forgot to mention, um, you know, another biographical note is that 
for this entire period, I had sort of been working in technology um, mm. in a larger ideological space of Silicon Valley and, and for various startups and things. And, you know, I just sort of my curiosity led me to this um you know, there's always sort of been the, the certain ide- ideologies under, underpinning the, the, the conversation around technology. You can talk about the California ideology, et cetera. Um, but I was sort of fascinated by this new zeal that I, that I saw around me and, and um, you know, all these different tropes kind of, kind of coming up. And, um, you know, there was a while where this stuff was sort of running rampant, unchecked. It's this kind of, uh, mm-hmm. this sort of techno utopianism that I saw day in and day out at, at, at work really. Um, and then so I kind of just, <laughs> just dug even deeper and found that, you know, the, the rabbit hole goes pretty far. Um, so, so that's sort of like, again, uh, I guess how, how I came to this. I, I, I think of a funny conversation I had one time with, with Zach Kaplan of Resum, um, <laughs> who, who also is, I should say, has been instrumental in sort of, you know, getting me down this, this road. And I think also probably, again, how, how, I, how I met you. Mm. Um, and he's just sort of like, yeah, you're so interesting. You work in tech, but then you're so anti-tech and you're so, you're such a, such a virulent critic of this. And I'm like, well, yeah, exactly. That's because I see this stuff every day. And so I, I sort of, you know, uh, it gives me perfect fodder for, for, for me to kind of jump into this stuff. Um, but yeah, and, and I think it's, it's funny that like talking about the role of the critic, there aren't too many people, uh, in, in the sort of art writing community who are able to sort of, you know, talk about this critically and sort of see some of the issues. So, uh, you know, that's sort of mm. where, where I hope to continue working. Absolutely. And it's, it's harder and harder out over time as a culture is worked into like the missions of a lot of technology companies. The platforms we use to share art reviews and essays are wrapped up in this new neoliberal idea of what a cultural creator is or what a cultural critic even does, what their purpose even is. It, it becomes hard over time. It actually becomes harder to keep any kind of sense of rigor, too. I mean, the standards and parameters for criticism in general are changing, but for art critics are changing, too. So we need, like, serious critical thinking, which I think occasioned this, this like, discussion of how we grapple with how Silicon Valley changes our sense of complexity and, like, even flattens out complexity and washes away kind of any challenge to a creative act. And the role of the critic in the face of that zeal, like as you're describing, is really hard to maintain. Like you have to have sort of equal or even more rigorous zeal to counter it. So you have every company's mission having creativity embedded into it and every act is sort of imagined as an artistic gesture. And so from my side, it becomes very hard to think of what an art criticism will look like over the next five years or 10 years that can engage with work about the internet or surveillance or AI uh, without understanding what tech solutionism is and understanding its tenets and mm-hmm. understanding the tools that artists use aren't really divorced from their makers. So a piece of software really isn't just like a paintbrush. And we were, we were reading the, this piece from 2016 by, uh, that came out of Google AMI, the Artist and Machine Intelligence Group that we can talk about. But it's an idea that from interface to execution, like the effect of technological tools is social and psychological and emotional is designed to be so. And so criticism of a tool that's presented as neutral when it really is a piece of social engineering is incredibly hard to do. Right. And there isn't really a model for criticism in this space. And so you start to see a lot of work that seems like criticism, but is actually kind of evangelical. Yeah, totally. I think there's a lot to uh, unpack, as they say, in that, in that piece. Um, <laughs> And I think you're, you're hitting on the main, the main point, uh, you know, just, to, just to quickly summarize, and maybe you can also summarize it too, but, but, uh, the, the, the piece is, is more or less 
talking about uh, the history of sort of Luddite or reactionary reactions against mm. tools being used in various creative endeavors or, or even by, you know, sort of quote unquote art, you know, great masters or sort of in art history. And, and there is this sort of equivalence that the author sets up against, you know, the Philistine reaction to it. So for me, I think the problem that here is that involved in that, no, you know, we sort of have to understand that there is really no sort of, like you're saying, there's no neutral tool, right? So it, it is true that artists did, you know, artists were constantly at the forefront of, of, of what was what was known as technology in that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the point uh, of, of, of why we need, really need to continue to scrutinize this is that there is an ideology for every tool, obviously, right? So we, so we know that there is an ideology, there's sort of like an ideological background of sort of the paintbrush and also the Catholic Church, right? I, I think it's, Probably also the role of the critic to talk about how those how the, how those tools need to be uh, interrogated today, right? So I think mm-hmm. I think you know the 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 attempt of that article kind of brush that away. You know, for me, it doesn't quite doesn't quite sit so well with me. The logical flaw here would be then that the use of technology makes the work itself post-human and then somehow above or beyond critique, but then also circulate within a system of human value, which I keep returning to in this space over and over again, is this idea that we should stop being shocked about the use of AI and open up our boundaries of what counts as like skills and creativity and open up to other kinds of intelligences, but without like any kind of system for criticizing what that would be. Right, right, certainly. I mean, I think I, 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 think I agree largely with the idea that the vocabulary will have to change, um, hmm. that critics employ just to sort of make sense of, of platform capitalism or to make sense of uh, the new tools of quote unquote AI, um, which is largely what's being talked about in, in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, it, it's the new tools that are being leveraged here. Um, for me, attempt to situate the aesthetic past the human. I think there are sort of non-trivial changes that the tools are kind of registering on 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 the sort of you know the subject, the the, mm-hmm. the, the human. Um, and I think it's it kind of goes back to this idea of narrative. The critic today rely. The critic and the audience rely on this idea of narrative mm-hmm. uh, to sort of make sense of any sort of you know any sort of sense data or any sort of information. And so the reason why we're kind of situating these tools past human comprehension is because there is just sort of too much data. There's too much information. Mm-hmm. So it, it is sort of natural next step to say, oh, potentially AI can have a sort of creative component, and AI can can sort of make things that that, that somewhat correlate to to beauty or or to the to the sort of artistic endeavor that we've known. So we have to change our, our language around, around you know, artist agency and, and, and the audience reception. But I think what we need to keep uh, is this, this, this fundamental strain that runs through essentially what is hum- humanism, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think the critic already has a, has, a, has a tall order to kind of, to kind of maintain that semblance of, of humanism in the face of tools which clearly go beyond human comprehension. Mm. An even more difficult issue here is tracking technological progress. So around AI, the level of discourse and the level of complexity and mathematical complexity is so high that most people, even you know, very, very smart people who don't have the facility are left behind, which doesn't mean that you need to have the coding facility to understand the social or ethical or moral impacts of artificial intelligence. But what is really interesting to me about that 2016 piece is that there is a political argument being made, 
when we describe neural machinery, our brains having the same function as code, as both advanced processors, it goes back to this piece about like your brain is not a computer. But the piece argues that we're hybrid, as so much like cyborg speculation argues. But trying to approximate the brain's architecture through an enormous computational infrastructure is a little bit different from just dreaming about being a, cy about being a cyborg. So the art that comes out of that field and that kind of thinking isn't particularly groundbreaking on an aesthetic level, but it is very technically interesting or curious, um, whether it's a new digital paintbrush tool or an AI-human hybrid practice. And you know, beauty isn't the point, and what's really interesting is the political argument that's being made through it by a company with a specific ideology or the, you know, the semblance of having none at all. And art is often used as a kind of culture washing and it softens out the feeling of ideology. You know, it's all beautiful and it's all creative. And why would you want to stop these tools or people from using these tools creatively? Yeah, exactly. I'm not so interested in that subjective kind of judgment of, of whether something is beautiful or interesting. I mean, I sort of, mm -hmm. I sort of, <clears throat> I read that criticism and I, you know, maybe have done that myself once or twice, but um, that's, like you say, that's not really the interesting question. I think, I think throughout history, the critic is supposed to kind of interrogate the value system that underlies those judgments rather than mm -hmm. sort of reveling in the idea that art is good or bad or, or, mm -hmm. or, or, or some such. Um, and, and I think that, uh, it's also, again, like you say, even more urgent now with, with, with this idea of, you know, machine learning or AI being able to usurp the, the role of creativity or, or become this new tool. Because mm -hmm. for me, it comes back to what is unarguably the utilitarian aspect of these tools, right? These tools were developed to do a very specific thing. Um, you know, while they have sort of academic, uh, they've always been sort of of academic interest to various, you know, cognitive scientists or, or what have you, different fields, they're, they're tools, right? They're, they're utilitarian. So, mm. you know, you can, you can dress up the accidental creativity of, of these tools and you can make arguments that artists can use them. But for me, what's underlying that is those tools are now defining what creativity is, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can sort of like dress up AI to say that it's art. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, but when I look at that, it will never really escape the sort of, the sort of utilitarian or origins of, of what, what is happening. So I think just, you know, mm -hmm. that alone is, 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 is a shift that I think should be a special sort of, you know, new type of commentary mm -hmm. and can't just be swept under the floor of, you know, this, this normal kind of reactionary, uh, mm -hmm. you know, line of criticism. Mm. And in that way, like art becomes this a carrier for kind of suspect ideas or bad ideas or unintelligible claims to progress, where the metric for progress is that something just works or just does a new thing. Rather, is it is it worthy or good or effective? Whether, whether those judgments are first order, second order, or not interesting, it is, it, it becomes easy to build a thing, but then less easy over time as to, to ask why that thing should be built at all. And I mean, guys, yeah. this really gets to why uh, art is being used as such a like testing ground for kind of like bad faith ideas, whether it's putting like consent and relationships on the blockchain or seasteading or, you know, tech shamanism or what have you. Like the terms have changed. And so tech is, technology has always been a space in which people first look for solutions rather than trying to complicate experience. Mm -hmm. You're looking to streamline experience. So you would naturally then move as, you know, Fred Turner would describe to engineer culture and engineer right. art at scale. But this idea that there are other aesthetic standards other than human, ignoring that people still have to create what a non-human standard is. So when we talk about AI having its own aesthetic or 
the non-human having its own art or kind of creativity. It's still us imagining that. Art has always been, um, you know, a tool for the dominant ideology to, you know, to kind of to reset the norms, to mm-hmm. to to uh, reflect the sort of material conditions of, of what's going on at the time. Fred Turner and you discussed this, I thought, uh, to great effect. Um, and that's sort of what we're dealing with now. So mm. um, it's perfectly natural that, you know, the museum will be digitized. Creativity will be sort of um, compared to AI and, 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 and there will be this sort of conversation that happens. And just like critics have done in, throughout history, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's important to have historical context around that. So, yeah, mm. I mean, this is kind of like I think of all the things you could be writing about right now. And for me, this is this is pretty much uh, the most interesting thing going on right now. <laughs> And you've called you've called yourself an AI skeptic, which is really refreshing because I I don't mean just from my spaces in uh, art and tech activism and people working in AI and so many artists working with AI I meet very few skeptics. And do you and and you mentioned this a little bit in relation to a wall text for Ian Cheng's show at MoMA PS One for Emma series. I think there was a line in there about simulations not having morality or ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you wrote a review about the show. Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, it's funny because I think it's um, you know both in both in our criticism and in the business world, it's much more profitable to be an AI evangelist. Uh, <laughs> and I think as a result of that, you sort of have this bubble in uh, what people think AI is capable of. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a few stories that kind of illustrate this. There's a lot of these different conferences that people go to, and they're all about the sort of next big thing. And there was one, you know, machine learning slash AI conference and the organizer said, all right, everyone put your hands up if you are working on a uh, AI project at the moment. And everyone's hand hand went up. And then he said, okay, um, now keep your hand up if you've deployed that AI into production and it's stable. And then basically all the hands went down, right? So, so there's a lot of people trying to do really interesting things. And there's, you know, some really great examples of AI that are very specific. But, but what I'm skeptical of is this idea of, you know, artificial general intelligence, right? This sort mm-hmm. of self-sentient AI that, that can think on its own. And, and, and even interrogating that word think is also mm-hmm. highly problematic, which we could do a whole other podcast on. But, but that's generally where my sort of skepticism comes in. And I think that that's sort of a honey trap for artists that are always mm-hmm. going to be kind of thinking about this. So, so both in the art and technology world, I think that the robot future uh, is, 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 is vastly overstated. Hmm. I wonder why I see so many artists moving to the space. I know that at least so many of the artists working in tech have are heavy science fiction readers and there's something about imagining like the future of AI as this other, this other intelligence that, and this also is rooted in a lot of the philosophy that moves in and out of art and sort of like pseudo academic thinking Mm -hmm. that it like really finds a home in, in art. Um, and especially with a lot of artists and that's not a dig. There's a lot of interesting experimental thought would, which would just would not find home, a home in the Academy and like has not found a home and sort of thrives in, music, thrives in art, thrives in, you know, sort of like para-academic circles. Yeah. And so you have a lot of, you know, work that really is speculative poetry that then is translated Mm -hmm. into being like AI theory or a vision of like how the world actually should be. And then that is then put into artworks, which is then put into institutions, which is like funded by actual technology companies. You have actual funders coming to these shows and, and being inspired by them and going back 
you know, to engineer culture. So it's an interesting cycle, like from where these ideas from the periphery come in and then when they're unchecked sort of move into like informing the systems that we're living in. What is really interesting to me is I will, when I do like torture myself by watching the news, you'll have, or like even, even like tech uh, conferences, there was a recent one from maybe three or four months ago and an announcement of a new executive at Facebook who on stage was saying I was at the Department of Defense for you know the last five or six years and just was working on this military technology and now I'm at Facebook. You know, the creator of platforms like Instagram describing in detail how their interface design was meant to shape how you go out into the world and then come back to your phone. So there's not a lot that's hidden. A lot of this is like quite open and quite frank. And it, for me, for as a critic, it becomes hard to think about like what, how do you even determine what is good and bad when a lot of like the things that one would normally understand as extremely bad are just like outright stated. But criticism serves such a different role than just naysaying. So I'm trying to think through like why it's become so difficult to create a position on what is bad or good when it seems like platforms flatten out, everything is equally good and equally bad and like nothing seems to have any meaning. You at least should kind of, you know, uh, acknowledge that there's an immense politics, uh, political aspect to all this. So, How do you determine whether an artwork using technology is like either effective or bad or good? Or what, what kind of what kind of terms have you come up with over time as we've, you've worked in criticism? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. I have not fully worked <laughs> that out because um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a really big question. Right. I mean. There's a whole host of, of artists who deal in almost a one-to-one reproduction and reveal kind of aesthetic of, 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 of these various various infrastructures. Um, Trevor Paglin comes to mind. Um, Addie Wagonect comes to mind as well. Um, Great. And you know, there's there's a lot more there who are who sort of are in that world of uh, either documentation of the ver- these infrastructures, uh, or actually working with you know media in a sort of tactical media way. Mm-hmm. Um, so so those those artists, I think, just writing about about that group mm-hmm. and just kind of kind of continuing to connect what that group is doing to contemporary issues is sort of all all you need, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that there is a sort of didacticism mm-hmm. there, and I think it's sort of pretty clear what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And again, it varies. Obviously, not all not all the work is like that, but. Um, so, so that one's, that one's, I guess, somewhat clear cut. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Maybe I should pause and let you chime in. Cause I think you, <laughs> I think, well, what, what's been most difficult for me is coming from a background of, of, of like poetry and fiction. When, when I see a lot of speculative writing ar- around art and tech that is inspired by what technology can do for language. Like that, that has always been like a, a measure of whether work is good. But then I, then I realized over time, I mean, that's like my personal aesthetic approach or that's my approach to writing is something that pushes language or pushes the imagery that I'm writing. That, so it becomes like sort of a relationship with the work. But coming up with like a critical take has become more difficult over time in part because the function of the tool and how it works has to be really rigorously understood. So it means sitting down with an artist. It means sitting down with a programmer. It means watching them like make the work from like beginning to end. And so there's a massive amount of investment that, I mean, I think is essential to like, getting to know a practice and getting to know how a tool is used in hybridity with an artist. 
And I think the language is going to be emergent and it's going to come out of educating ourselves as like as critics about the technology that's being used. Even coming from a game design background, I'm not a coder or programmer, so there are many things that I have to have explained. So I, mean, I think it's a lot of like self-education, like self-taught learning. So that is why the critique in this space often feels very nebulous. It feels like, you know, sort of stabbing in the dark. So I think yeah. for now, I mean, uh, uh, until technologists, though, have a better system for verifying the good or bad of art, we have need to have both aesthetic standards to judge artworks, but also make like moral stands on the power relations that are forged through like information distribution. Like for, it's okay to make a moral stand in this space. It's, it's okay to, and it's actually even necessary mm -hmm. because the erasure of that mm -hmm. is why criticism starts to like fade or be like crushed under it. So to suggest that having a platform of like networked urban educated youth replacing like the class base of the left or that like historiography should be thrown out the window that these things, you know, fade yeah. in, in before the power of platforms and just say that's not the future that we want. That is fine for a critic to say that's actually like essential to have like a, a vision also of what the future can be. Yeah. But I, I also, you know, want to throw this out there and get your thoughts on this. I, I fall into a little bit of a trap though, I think. And one thing that I struggle with is does all art need to um, be talked about as if it's, you know, in this new regime of platform capitalism or are there still, or as a humanist, do you, um, make your political case by sort of in some sense ignoring uh, some of these things. And I think what happens in my writing a lot is like I've had editors sometimes say, in trying to critique this, I can't tell if you're arguing for it or, <laughs> or arguing against, against it. it because because either way, you're sort of rehearsing and this and in this odd way, you're subtly giving credence to this narrative, right? So, so can artists, uh, you know, does a uh, monochrome painting have to do with uh, platform capitalism? <laughs> uh, are, can art can artists escape? Right, uh, uh, you know. So that that's something I struggle yeah. with a lot. I think it's been interesting moving out of just you know as a writer, like moving into like wider communities. Um, I moved back to New York from Boston a couple of years ago to be at iBeam, which is like a large network of tech activists and critical thinkers, but people who are not necessarily critics. So they're moving between a lot of activist spaces throughout New York and around New York and are, you know, extremely critical. Um, their practice is critical. I wouldn't think of them necessarily as like traditional critics, but they're some of the people I look to the most. And so we all talk about this a lot is that in working in this space, are we unwittingly becoming evangelical or like in, in describing what the possibility of technology is like that optimism can, that can be misread as a, as a kind of like push. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, criticism is like a expression of love. You love the work enough to like spend the amount of time on it to, to be critical of it. And I feel that, you know, if you love technology as well, if you grew up in the nineties, anyone from that generation has a very different vision of what the internet meant back then and you have like it's like a physical mm -hmm. feeling of what it could have been and watching that close from go from open to closed in 20 years is you know kind of heartbreaking mm -hmm. so i mean right. when i just when i critique tech i i or or think about art working with tech and focus on that specifically i know there's folk art that's being left out there are artists who have no facility with technology who are being left out there are Mm -hmm. countless like traditional artists who don't even like use the internet or aren't interested and are not really uh you know engaging with the digital or technology at all but that doesn't work make their mm -hmm. work not um well i want to i want to be careful 
from of calling like painting a kind of technology <laughs> or of all kind all art a kind of technology but you know there is there's absolutely well certainly there, certainly there's work being done today that for all intents and purposes could it could have been done in 1960 <laughs> that's i guess that's that's my poor <laughs> definition of what i was trying to say <laughs> no but absolutely there's there's so much that's being left out i think what's also crucial is in there's a very like narrow um you know, there's just kind of like tone to the critique in this space, games especially, that is defensive, that really, really focuses on the work being art at all. And I spent a lot of time among games critics who are kind of obsessed with this point when the fact is that games can be art, but they're also doing yeah. something entirely new to our senses and our ways of thinking. And this obsession with whether it's art or not can blind the critics to any kind of negative possible critique or the possibility of negative outcomes. And, you know, my optimism comes from the insight that if systems are made by people, then you can reorient them towards the future and the ways that pro technology promised to be able to do. And art is one way to reveal that. But yeah, it's very difficult to be, to know whether you are, <laughs> you're being, a, you're being played or you're, you're also being like a mouthpiece for something. I sometimes look at some work yeah. and I'm not totally sure. I, 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 I think uh, there's there's almost a trap, right, to being sort of techno dystopian, mm -hmm. right? So it, it, I think uh, art and critics do this, and I think I probably also am guilty of this. Where in describing this techno dystopia, you you sort of overstate the case, mm. and you you lead to a sort of nihilism, and um, you 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 almost open the door for the the, the waning role of the of the mm -hmm. human or or the critic. Uh, but really, you were just actually trying to sort of uh, be critical and you were trying to to, to open up people's mm -hmm. minds. I mean, the, the solace I take um, in why, you know, we still do this and why I still do this is because potentially, uh, you know, there is a lot of exhaustion in critical mm -hmm. discourse in the last 50 years. I think uh, a lot of different theory has kind of run its mm -hmm. course. And I think there's a sort of um, uh, malaise uh, if that's the right word, uh, going on, uh, going on in the academy and, and, and going on in the art market. And, and, you know, potentially we can sort of recapture, uh, the, 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 the importance or, or the social function of art by, by relating it against the sort of anti-humanism and the anti, the apolitical mm -hmm. kind of ideology of platform capitalism, because I, I sort of think that art is, um, you know, I sort of do have this like quasi, whatever you want to call it, uh, faith in in the human and, and the human as center. And and I think art is something that we don't share with mm. machines, right? So so <laughs> so simply having this, simply you know art, you know you you can interrogate and critique this idea of art and its historical contingent, but but it's you know roughly been uh, it's roughly been consistent in terms of the fact that. Uh, a computer has never had an idea of, of what this is, and we, and we do. Many thanks to our critics, Nora Khan and Mike Pepe. Criticism in Conversation is a series by Momus, the podcast, and is produced and hosted by myself and Lauren Wetmore. This episode is edited by Jacob Irish, features original music by Kyle McRae, and production assistance by Mitra Shriram. It's brought to you with the help of the Canada Council for the Arts New Chapter Grant, and is syndicated by NTS Radio. Mm -hmm.